Hi, I'm Jeremy Leslie and this is MagCast, our new podcast. Regular followers will know we've been posting uh, recordings from our events as audio files on the journal and we've had a really good response to these. People seem to like them. Uh, so this is a kind of natural development from those. Uh, it's also kind of grown out of how we work here at MagCulture. If you follow us, you'll know the studio is based in London and that's where I am. And you also know that writer Madeline Morley contributes a lot of the posts uh, and she happens to be in Berlin. If any city can compete with London for the liveliness of its independent publishing, it's Berlin. So Madeline's ideally placed to cover the subject. But being in the two different cities is a challenge in its own right and we have to plan our time carefully and that means we have a, a weekly meeting on Monday morning uh, online using Skype and we thought we'd build on, on those Monday meetings um, by recording this conversation and inviting some guests to join in too. One of the reasons we wanted to start up the podcast was that Jeremy and I go through the stack of magazines that we receive in the post every Monday morning when we meet online. And then we decide from that stack which magazines we're going to cover on the journal that week. And we started realizing that because we read so many magazines and look at so many magazines every week, it's actually really rare that we just sit down and read something from cover to cover. So we decided it would be fantastic to sit down with some magazines that we really love and invite some magazine makers from both London and Berlin every month to read through a magazine with us and to read it from beginning to end and just enjoy it and talk about it together. So we recorded the first MagCast a week or so ago. Uh, I was joined by Daniel Pender, the uh, editor and founder of Repost uh, here in London. And I had Kai van Rabenau, the editor, publisher and designer of Monokultur in my studio here in Berlin. We select them because A, we thoroughly enjoy their magazines, but They've also both got uh, new issues out themselves. So um, the 40th Monoculture has just been released and the sixth edition of Repost is just now on pre-order. Uh, as well as hearing from our guests about, these, about their new issues, we invite them to share their thoughts on the latest issue of Apartamento magazine. We chose Apartamento because it's very much a magazine whose arrival is always a big event in independent publishing. We also chose it because in our weekly At Work With series on the journal, where we speak with different editors and art directors about their upcoming week at work, people often choose Apartamento as one of their favourite magazines. It's just one of those that often comes up. And for me personally, it's also one of the first magazines that I can actually really remember enjoying when I first discovered independent publishing. It's 10 years since the Mag Culture website first started. Uh, it, it was originally an experiment that sort of grew to become something else. Uh, the, I remember the first post uh, was a brief paragraph about what was then the newly launched Graxia magazine, and that was accompanied by a tiny kind of blurry thumbnail of the front cover, and it, it was all, it, we used a really basic uh, WordPress theme, and now we've got our own theme, and we are publishing posts every day. But in a sense, this podcast is, is, is the audio equivalent of that first single paragraph post. Um, recording this first episode has been quite a challenging experiment and we're aware it's not perfect in its recording but we really enjoyed the conversation we had with our guests and I hope that's reflected in what you're about to listen to. So perhaps we should focus on, on monoculture first mm -hmm. and just sort of as a magazine that's hit <coughs> how many issues has it been now? We're just, uh, we're just about to release the 40th issue. It's been <laughs> A good 10 years and a little bit. I'd be interested in hearing how it first came about and sort of what it was like 10 years ago. What it was like? Um, it came about, um, I've, I've just always been a magazine freak. I mean, I was mm. subscribing to Interview Magazine from the States when I was 14, 15, which um, seemed perfectly normal to me then, but none of my friends were interested in any of that. And it's just kind of stayed with me, and it's always been a sort of dream at the back of my head to um, start my own magazine. I was um, studying graphic design and very um, soon focusing on photography. Um, I was studying in London, coincidentally, and then when I moved back to Berlin in 2001, um, you know, I really thought like, okay, you know, if I'm going to keep dreaming about this, now is the time to do something about it, or if not, you just um, stop thinking about it. And, you know, this was in around 2003, so there wasn't really much, so much of the internet going on, or, you know, there certainly wasn't Facebook or anything, any of that around. So 
um, I really needed some other people to um, join me and help out. And we, I put out these little postcards in Poco um, M, this bookshop in, in Berlin, saying like, you know, hey, I want to start a new magazine. Who's interested? And, you know, quite a few people actually got in touch through phone still at the time. And there's actually a couple of them that are still with us now, 10 years later, 12 years later. Um, and how big is the team now? It's, I mean, there's, um, there's different levels. It's kind of it's hard to define because it's quite an organic um, body of people. I, I would say there's about a hardcore group of people, which um, is about five to six mm -hmm. editors. And they tend to have been with Monoculture for a long time and it's become a sort of very intimate sort of um, friendship also. And then there's a, there's a kind of outer circle of people who don't contribute as much or as regularly yeah. of, again, like... So, so Kai, this is kind of an editorial board that helps you decide who to feature? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, you know, we decide, like, all the big des decisions we take together and we meet, I don't know, every two weeks or so, and then just discuss, um, you know, about interviews about who we might potentially want to feature and <coughs> organizing launch events and I don't know all kinds of, all the stuff that goes into making a magazine and then how do you end up deciding who's going to design the issue how do you sort of match the interview to to the designer? the designer yeah I mean first of all we should probably you know expand a little on the on the idea that um, you know the design really changes from scratch from issue to issue mm -hmm which um, came about, came out of the format really a little bit. I mean, in the beginning, we, we planned a much more commercial magazine in terms of like, we're going to do an interview magazine that was biannual and kind of followed a much more established um, format of an interview magazine. And um, that never happened because we couldn't, we couldn't get the funding together. Uh, we couldn't finance the first issue. And um, so it really, the format that we do now of doing just one interview her issue really came out of that, where we're just trying to think about how, you know, how to break down the costs a little bit for production, and you know, out of that arose the idea of, you know, what would happen if we kind of published the interviews bit by bit and not bundled into, into a whole issue, but each on its own, and you know, then we very quickly realized actually that's a much more interesting idea than what we had in mind in the first place, and. Um, all of a sudden all these doors opened up, you know, because the concept is so tight and it's so clear, but at the same time we realize we don't have the problem that most magazines are challenged with, with of having to bundle a lot of different content and different features into one sort of umbrella format. Mm -hmm. You know, for us it was just the one person and the one interview and, um, you know, very quickly we realized actually, you know, we can really play with the design and can really focus on the person and really design the issue around the artists of, of the magazine and um, you know and then very quickly we, we realized actually we don't have to do it all ourselves we can also invite other people to guest design um, one issue and so we kind of opened up the doors and it's become you know I think it's become a very healthy competition that arose and we get a lot of designers applying and asking if they can do an issue mm -hmm. And, um, you know, if it's people that we think would be suitable to monoculture, then we, we just have this big pool of designers that are interested. And then usually it comes first that we do, you know, we've got the interviewee, we've got a rough, um, we have a rough draft, a rough edit of the interview, and then we start thinking about who might be good to design okay. this. And it's, it's not just an issue of design, is it? It's also production. I mean, perhaps you could share, I mean, what's the most kind of flamboyant example of an issue of <laughs> well, that would be just a taller, I guess. <laughs> well, uh, okay, but, uh, but, uh, but maybe physically. I mean, it, you know, if, if we describe it as an A5 size magazine, it, it, it sort of inhibits what's actually in there. And so, I mean, give an example of some of the extents to which you've burst out of that format. Well, I mean, it's one of the things that we didn't quite realize at the time, but I mean, in, inviting other designers, and the deal is always, you know, you you get to do this, we can't really pay you that much, but um, you kind of get pretty much carte blanche of um, what are you going to do. So there's a few rules to the magazine, but apart from that, the designers are pretty much free to do whatever they feel is interesting or valid. You know? And we didn't quite 
realized that this was going to raise, you know, quite a healthy ambition among designers to really try out and push for, you know, push for different things. Also really looking at what's gone on before and how can they do the issue different than anybody else. And so it's kind of um, developed its own dynamic in a lot of ways. And, um, you know, I think over the years now, it's really become a bit of an archive for all the things you can do with paper and with magazines. It's really pushed the boundaries of, of commercial magazine in so many different directions and there's different example I mean we've printed you know I mean the most flamboyant would certainly be the issue with Cicel Tolas where instead of images we included 12 um, smells she's a Norwegian artist that works with scents and um, so you know it was really yeah, you have to wrap the paper and then it um, releases um, specific smells um, but we've also done, you know, I don't know, we've done issues that came in cards, were, were compiled like a fanzine, we've had posters and fold-outs in all kinds of different ways, we had um, issues that read from back to front, um, we've had different production techniques of working with different varnishes or different kinds of binding, um, untrimmed pages where you have to cut open the issue yourself, um, we printed only in Pantone colors, images and all kinds of stuff really. And as you said, you, you just published your 40th issue. Yes. Um, if, if we look back, it's 10 years, isn't it, mm. you've been publishing for. Uh, why, there, there seemed to be quite a healthy uh, magazine scene 10 years ago there in Berlin. There was O32C was starting off. Yeah. Um, was there a particular, is there any reason for that? Or was it just fortuitous? You're all there at the same time? I mean. Yeah, I think it's a bit of a coincidence. I mean, O32C, there's... <laughs> started a bit earlier than us. Um, I think it wasn't so much a scene, it was more, I think it was the beginning of this moment where I realized that you can just do it yourself, you know, which I think has a lot to do with desktop publishing and printing became cheaper and all of a sudden there was this thing like actually I don't necessarily need to work for a large publishing house, I can just put out my own thing, you know. Mm. I mean that really hadn't been possible 10 years prior to that um, and I think people were just slowly catching on to the fact that um, you know, this is actually quite feasible. So um, at the time, I mean, there really wasn't that much around. But O32 certainly, you know, were beginning to get known within Berlin. There was also a German fashion magazine called Achtung, which was um, self-published by a stylist and which was getting quite a lot of attention. You know, there was the early stuff from uh, Job van Bennekom, Bud magazine, and Re magazine that you know in Berlin mm -hmm. were quite popular. Um, so was, was Departamento around? No, they started a little bit afterwards. Mm -hmm. I think they started in two, yeah, something yeah. like that. Fantastic Man released the first issue half a year before we did, so that was, mm -hmm. you know, that was happening. Apart from that, I think it's Berlin at the time. Certainly, you know, it still felt like this very free space. Um, you know, that was cheap to live in and allowed for a lot of time to sort of indulge in your own projects and um, without you know, not necessarily thinking too much about the commercial side of things. So um, there was a certain amount of freedom, and I think you could feel that across the whole board of culture within fine arts and within music. And um, so I think it, it lived a little bit from that spirit that you could just do things and, um, you know, without worrying too much about, is that actually going to make any money or can I live of this? Um, you know, you could just do and produce something and see what happened. And how aware of like the um, sort of new crop of Berlin-based magazines are you? I know you that you did the ten-year Monaco tour kind mm. of discussion a few months ago, where you invited Sina, Minis, FSCC, and a few other publications. Yeah. Do you sort of are you in dialogue with them at all, or are you sort of watching? No, them? not really. And you know that was actually one of the reasons for doing that roundtable talk. It was also partly about you know I mean, I'm obviously aware of these magazines and. Um, you know, I follow them and I like them. And it was also for me, you know, a way of actually meeting the people behind them and getting mm -hmm. to know them. And um, I think that's been great. I mean, I, I certainly met a few people that were starting around the same time as us, like Magazine für Orte. I was quite mm -hmm. familiar, you know, they came a lot to our launches. And yeah, Koch from O32C, I'm kind of vaguely in touch with. Um, but the new ones, not so much anymore. We're talking of new ones. It, relatively young as a as a as a magazine is Repost. Um, so I think we should turn our attention to Repost now. It's the, so it's the fifth issue. Sixth, sixth issue. issue. I'm out of touch. Yeah. 
sixth issue. Oh. <laughs> Congratulations. Thank you. I was I was with um uh, I, I was at an event in Singapore recently where, where one of the speakers claimed that the magazine didn't exist until it reached its tenth issue. Yeah. Do does that make make any sense? Yeah, I think um, I've actually been thinking about this quite a lot because there's a lot of new magazines that mm -hmm. come out, it seems, every week. And um, and actually, it, it only feels that with this issue, we've sort of not even hit our stride, really, but it mm -hmm. feels like things are getting a little bit easier. We have a clearer idea of, of everything that we're doing and everything that we want to do. And I think until now, it has been kind of fly by the seat of our pants uh -huh. and we've kind of made it up as we go along which I think is good I think it's good to sort of have that naivety mm -hmm. but I do agree that um, it, it takes quite a while to get to know yeah. your audience and, and what you want to achieve with your magazine so you started three years ago or two uh, and yeah, a half years no, ago. November 2013 was the first issue and what brought you to launch a magazine um, I think similar to what Kai was saying, I've always been into printed matter. I used to collect the face when mm -hmm. I was younger and um, and always read magazines and always wanted to sort of start one or work on one. Um, and then I just, at the time, I remember the, I think things have changed quite a lot now, but um, at the time it didn't feel that there was any decent women's magazines apart mm -hmm. from uh, gentlewomen. There wasn't really anything that I wanted to read myself. Um, so I chatted to a few people and we thought, why don't we try mm. and start one ourselves? Something that we would want to read ourselves. And did you kickstart the first one? No, no. Um, just we did pre-sales. Again, it was just really naive. I didn't really know how I was going to pay for it. So we, um, we did a small print run and we paid for it on uh, pre-order pre mm -hmm. and then everybody sort of mucked in and um, helped out for free so it was quite a low cost issue um, and then it sort of grow it's grown from that mm -hmm. and as it uh, as it grows I mean you, you, you mentioned how you sort of feel like you're forming your sense of voice and, and tone describe that sense of voice if you can I mean is it possible to <laughs> <laughs> verbalize that because it's an important part of the magazine I think it's, yeah. it, it's from the name, or I think that it's a fantastic name, and I'm sure a lot of thought went into that. Yeah, um, yeah, a lot of thought went into it, and I knew from the start that obviously it was going to be a women's magazine, but we didn't want it to be to reference uh, feminism or women's issues explicitly because we deal with women's issues, but we kind of talk about it as if it's a given, and mm -hmm. we address certain gender issues if we feel that it's necessary, but we kind of. I don't want it to be like Elle magazine dedicate an issue to feminism and then for the rest of the mm -hmm. the year it's kind of forgotten about like feminism should just be in everything mm -hmm. in all of your casting in all of your design in everything that you write about it, sh it should just come from that sort of um, equal standpoint so the the tone of voice yeah so the the name we wanted it to be a riposte to the magazines that were on offer at the time and that are still on offer and so the tone of voice now, it's, um, we feature really interesting women and we talk to them as human beings, not as sort of women first, we just, mm -hmm. it's an equal platform and we feature um, women who you might not necessarily have heard of, people who don't get um, a platform on mainstream media but who are still doing incredible things. And actually we've kind of changed it slightly for this next issue, we, because we did a feature on Nova for mm -hmm. in issue five. Um, for those of you who don't know what Nova was, it was a really radical women's magazine in the 60s and 70s. And looking back at those issues, they were amazing and really radical in their content. So we've kind of, I've been inspired to look at what issues, modern day issues we can sort of take and discuss in mm -hmm. an interesting way and not just a sort of stereotypical way. Um, so the next issue deals with slightly bigger issues than mm -hmm. just um, focusing on people doing interesting things. Oh, interesting. So can you share some of those issues? Um, so we've done a feature on everyday activism. So it feels like there's a lot of really big issues going on at the minute. Mm -hmm. um, but people, it also feels like people are quite feel quite impotent. So 
over and above doing a, um, an online petition, what can mm-hmm. everyday people actually do? So the, the disconnect between be feeling angry about what you read about on the news and actually what you can do, mm-hmm. what, what are those things? So we spoke to um, five different activists about different causes and, and what they do and how people can actually make a difference and what they can actually do rather than just, mm-hmm. like I say, click an online petition. And we've, we uh, commissioned some really amazing visuals to go with that. Um, mm-hmm. So we worked with a young photographer called Steph Wilson and she did, um, I guess, kind of a toilet paper inspired shoot. Mm-hmm. So that's very exciting. That sounds like it might have been inspired by some of the Nova material. It kind of was. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, yeah. Cause it, I, mean the, I always think of Riposte, perhaps unfairly, but primarily for its illustration rather yeah. than its photography, perhaps. I mean, there is photography, of course, but yeah. uh, I mean, from the front cover on, which consciously doesn't feature a photograph of anything, yeah. let alone a woman, as in a traditional woman's magazine. But it's, it's, it's for me, it's always been the illustration that uh, has kind of led the way visually. But you're moving more into those kind of... Um, we, it, this one's quite balanced. We have, we've got quite a few illustrative commissions. We work with um, Jonathan Kalugi, he's an Italian mm-hmm. illustrator who does really beautiful work. And um, Sarah Andreasen, she's mm-hmm. a Swedish-based um, illustrator who does really amazing girls basically so we've commissioned her to go with a, a piece on friendship um, but yeah we do I think we've tried to balance it a bit more for this issue and really put an effort into the commissioning of the photography and really work with um, photographers that we've got a, a relationship with and mm-hmm. build on that and and I mean as as uh, Kai was discussing the um, the choice of subjects is very important of course it's prime in the magazine at Monoculture where there's one person it's absolutely a key decision but obviously it's very important how you select the people you feature is that do, do you have a sort of working master list of people that you want to feature <laughs> and forever yeah. chasing them down yeah we've definitely got a, um, a hit list and there's one woman that I've emailed every time oh she yeah always <laughs> <laughs> said no but one day she'd say yes um, but yeah we have a master list and then we kind of have uh, for the interview, so there's always four interviews, mm-hmm. so we always try and have a spread of ages and disciplines and races and religions. So, um, so we have a sort of we break it down into mm-hmm. and into we break the list down into those um, sections and then see who we can so that the spreads even and that it reads. Um, so it's not just about music or it's not just all about young women. It's a it's a range. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And with and with reaching number issue six, you kind of even though. As we've you know compared to forty six isn't many, but there's been a, there's this feels like there's a whole generation of new women's magazines sort of almost coming in your wake. Um, do you, do you get to see them? Do you look at them? Yeah, I think it's great. I think um, I think that the more alternative women's magazines there are, the better. And I think yeah, I don't think that. I mean, women aren't all the same. We're very complex, different human beings. So I don't think that one magazine is right for mm-hmm. one for every woman. So I think the more the better. I kind of I um yeah, look look out for them and, and we'll flick through them and sometimes I buy some of them. Um I try not to I've actually stopped buying as many magazines and stopped looking as much. Um, <laughs> uh, I have like a core mm-hmm. few that are that are will buy and read but I find that um, I kind of try and look for inspiration outside mm-hmm. of magazines a little bit more yeah, yeah otherwise um, which which women's magazines at the moment out of the new ones are you looking at as it comes out um well I yeah I think mush pit is great I know I think their attitude's really fun and uh, I just yeah I think they're mm-hmm. quite punk in their approach I, quite, I really like that um, and I think lady beard have done something quite interesting um, and actually um, I work at KK Outlet, it's the gallery in London and we're going to do a show with Season oh, which yeah. is a young, um, a new uh, football magazine mm-hmm. ba- uh, aimed at women. Is, is it each issue or is it just this first issue that's women based? I think it's each, it's fashion uh, it's and each football. I think it's, 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 it's for the female fan. I oh, think yeah. it's very much, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Felicia <laughs> came into st- in the shop and now uh, she's, um, oh, it's great. It's a great, place, a lot of interest in that magazine. Yeah, I think it's a, it's um, a really interesting take on it. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I think there's, there's sometimes the, um, the, yeah, there's lots of new magazines coming out all the time. And I think uh, 
I'm quite interested in the magazines that have been around for a little bit longer from mm -hmm. a personal point of view, just because I kind of look at how they're doing it because making magazines is costly and it's quite difficult. So I'm more interested in magazines that are either mm -hmm. been around a little bit longer than us or who are similar and how they're kind of making it work. And they've grown up a bit, have developed themselves. Yeah, yeah because yeah, yeah that, going back to that thing, I think it takes a few, it takes maybe at least 10 issues to get into the story. So I think that's where things start getting interesting. And, and sadly, it's sometimes where people start to lose interest, mm -hmm. which I think is a bit of a shame. It's, it's interesting talking to you about the kind of content and the approach to it because it's won a lot of attention and awards for its design. Mm. Do, does, is that ever a frustration that the design uh, side gets a lot of attention or is that...? No, I'm, I'm up for it. I think uh -huh. it's good. I think um, we put, yeah, Shaz puts a lot of, Shaz is uh, the creative director, Shaz Madani, and I think she puts a lot of hard work into it and I think a magazine is more than just the writing, it's more just than just the commissioning, it's the design and how the content works with the design and I think if that's what people are into then that's great and maybe someone who, uh, we have quite a big um, male readership and I think they're into it because of the design mm -hmm. and then if they read an article about vaginas then mm -hmm. that's great, yeah. <laughs> Actually, um, by accident. Something I wanted to ask both of you. Um, so Rob Alderson has been doing some opinion pieces for Mag Culture recently, talking about sort of how people are treating magazines at the moment more as these like designed objects that they sort of collect and sort of appreciate just for their looks. And I, I was just wondering whether that's something that concerns both of you, or whether you're sort of ignoring that dimension of it, or whether you think about it even. Yeah, I don't mind. I mean, they can buy things for <laughs> whatever reason they want to. If they just want to have it lying around on the table, then that's fine. I mean listen to music for some people listen to music because they want to relax some because they want to have a voice in the background some because they want to dance and that's okay um just you know after you buy it it's yours just do whatever you want with it i think that's totally mm -hmm. fine you know but we do strive i mean i always get annoyed with magazines who um you know who, who are good at just one thing and not the other so mm. you know I've, I do mm. actually read all the magazines I buy from beginning to end and I always find it really frustrating when magazines are visually really beautiful and extremely well done but then you know the actual content isn't quite up to that level because not as much I, I think that's the, the main target of Rob's pieces really I mean I think you know we're we're, um, we're lucky to have you, you guys hear from, from magazines that do pay a lot of attention to the content. Yeah, and I think um, the reason why people, or why print is is having a bit of a resurgence is because uh, because the magazine makers put a lot of attention and care into how they um, present the work and the paper stock and all the different production methods mm -hmm. that go into it. So mm -hmm. if people appreciate it for that, then I think that's fine. But yeah, I do agree that if you haven't got the content to back it up, then people aren't going to carry on buying mm -hmm. magazines. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's also a very particular way that people read magazines. People, it's that, you know, I'm interested to hear, Kai, that you read the, uh, the magazines you buy from cover to cover, but there is a sort of flicking process that is very different to looking at a book, mm -hmm. or to, the, the, to reading a book. You read a magazine and you kind of absorb the imagery as much as the words and, and the mixture of the two. And it's, fasc it's always fascinating to me how... how one story can be dealt with by two magazines in completely different ways, mm. visually in every other aspect. You know, but I think that's the beauty of magazine over books and also over art books. I think that they combine the two and that really different way of engaging. And I think that's what's what's so lovely about magazines that they have both sides. They have um, hopefully a good content and something that's intellectually stimulating, but also something that's really visually inspiring and just beautiful. Mm -hmm. This might be an interesting segue into Passamento because um, I'd be interested to hear how everyone started by reading it because we sort of set this task of we're going to read a Passamento, we're going to read the whole content. And did you guys sort of like flick through and like pick out your favorite ones first or did you actually read it from cover to cover? Because I know I did the flick process of like finding the thing that first really interested me. I always read from page one okay. to the last page. <laughs> <laughs> I'm totally German and anal about yeah, this. <laughs> We're, we're all thinking German. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's really, and then I love it when I get to page 124 and finally I get to the one guy I'm really interested in. 
<laughs> and I do, I do actually start reading everything, also in every magazine, even if it's about vaginas. Um, you know, and when, when I find the article not very interesting, then I just stop reading it and skip on to the next one. But um, mm -hmm. I also find, and particularly with Apartamento, it's usually the people that I'm not familiar with, a little bit on the fringe or a little bit quirky, and um, they're usually the ones that I find the most interesting. Yeah. And um, mm -hmm. the most surprising as well, and I think that's something I really appreciate about Apartamento, that they have this really eclectic and quite, um, yeah, very weird mix of people and yeah. will put like, I don't know, in this issue, like a psychedelic painter from the 70s right next to um, Martha, Martha Stewart. Stewart and you mm -hmm. think like, whoa, how do these two do, do together? But they somehow really pull it off. They really work, I agree. What about you, Danielle? How did you read the... Yeah, I always, like, I do the, um, is it the Japanese roots in the back? Mm -hmm. And then I flick through, and I flick, always flick through all of it and then go back to, um, to who stands out. But yeah, I think, um, I agree with Kai, I think they have such a great, they've always got such a great mix of really weird people. And then, and actually the more, the well-known people, so Martha Stewart, I'm not personally interested in, but I read the interview and it's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I think... Like the things, where's my favourite bit, where she talks about, um, they get amazing interviews and they, people talk, they're really honest and they get things out of them that you wouldn't expect. So she, Martha Stewart talks about getting her first bra and how she didn't, mm -hmm. um, she had to sort of hide it from her mum, like you wouldn't get that. Didn't she borrow it from a friend or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then she, had, she hid it and then her mum found it and then took it off her and... But then, but then you have these fantastic kind of crossovers there because the, uh, the the shoot that accompanies the interviews by Terry Richardson, yeah. and yeah. you know, obviously uh, his reputation is okay. Let's get naked, but and that was never going to happen with Martha Stewart. But yeah. she, he does have a picture of her holding two, two huge, is it melons or grapefruits? I can't <laughs> yeah. yeah, grapefruits, <laughs> and, it, it, and it's. You just look look her in the eye in that picture and wonder whether she knows what's going on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I like the, the the photograph opposite that bit about the bra. It's uh, it's got it's just a picture of a um, shower door. And it says keep shower door closed at all times. No cats. <laughs> no cats in Martha's shower. <laughs> I flick through as as we all seem to have, and but there's, uh, and in doing so, as something, and I, and I also look back to some earlier issues. But in doing so, it's something that's always been there and is a vital part for me of Apartamento is how flickable it is. Mm. Yeah, mm. definitely. It's, it's it's retained this kind of very quite light paper, mm -hmm. uh, and the scale is quite paperbacky. But there's something it encourages you to flick. It's very flickable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's also um, the format, I think. Yeah, yeah. Oh, going back to what you talking about in terms of the physical importance of, mm -hmm. of magazines that for me is a key part of this one um, because some of these stories go on for pages and pages but you do just find your way through them because it's quite easy to get through them you're not you know I mean, I'm not for a moment suggesting that turning a page is hard work but, <laughs> but there's something very very turnable about the pages mm. of Apartamento which encourages you through some quite long form interviews Jeremy, I know you've got the second issue with me over there. Yes, What's I have. What does that one look like in comparison? Well, I guess I kind of thought this is going to be interesting. Uh, well, first of all, uh, alas, I, I couldn't find, I'm sure I did have issue one, but I didn't have that. And I know that that kind of goes, that's incredibly rare and valuable now. But I found issue two and I thought I would look back and think, ah, oh, this is, you know, it's changed so much. They've, um, they've become superstars and everything's gone to their head. But actually, it's very, very similar. It's, I mean, it's smaller, it's slighter, it's about half, half the, le uh, the, the number of pages. But it's a similarly... I mean, okay, so you haven't got anyone as infamous stroke famous as Martha Stewart, but there's people like Christopher Bolin, um, people in the industry like Jorge Klopas, Max Lamb, people that maybe 10 years ago were slightly less known but are, are more known now. And it is that similar mix of people in the creative fields just sort of presented per se, you know, just this is their life and take it as it is. The, uh, the, the one difference that does come through is that they're always very um, forthright and proud and justifiably so of the way that they've kind of changed the way that interiors are portrayed in, in, in publishing. But it's, it is much sort of rougher and dirtier mm. in, the, in the pictures here. From, from the cover on, the cover, um, I think the, the, the last issue they had was a very austere front cover of a, of a wooden s sofa, uh, well, uh, to call it a, s a sofa is to 
over-describe it. It's a wooden seating space for m more than one person uh, with some uh, throws over it. And, but it's quite artfully conceived, whereas on issue two, it is the corner of a room full of packing boxes and a broken old chair and a drying rack with mm -hmm. some dirty clothes on it. It's much sort of more um, rough and ready. Mm. Uh, they all, the, the other thing that I, that I will just note from that stood out for me from, from, from the issue two was they actually had uh, instructions on how to make a chair. <laughs> uh, Max Lamb designed a DIY chair, and, and that's something which I don't think they've really done since. So, you know, there was a stage where they were act sort of actively not just, I guess, sort of reflecting and portraying the way that people lived in, 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 in apartments, but actually trying to help people live in, in their apartments, which I don't, I'm not sure they quite, I mean, obviously they're inspirational to look at, but I'm not sure they're giving that kind of how-to advice anymore. Mm. And do you all remember <coughs> the first time you saw Apartment Hill when it first sort of struck you? Um, I, yeah, I saw it from the beginning, mm -hmm. so it's really, I have issue one somewhere. Mm -hmm. I didn't realise it's precious, but I'll make sure it's <laughs> preserved <laughs> safely. Um, no, I really, yeah, I've been following it from the beginning, and that, in the beginning also they had a few launches that do you read me, so. Mm -hmm. I also, um, it was funny because I was, um, I was doing a story for them for I think the third or fourth issue, and they actually turned it down because I thought the photographs were too clean. And I was like, you know, that's something I never ever hear from anybody. And I was so shocked. I was like, what, seriously? <laughs> it's like, yeah, I don't know. Like, somehow, I don't have mental. And <laughs> Do you, can you remember when you first saw it, Daniel? Well, I saw it both in it, KK Outlet in 2009, and they had a bookshop, and they had it. So, yeah, it must have been quite early. I've got issue five here. Um, but I think, yeah, it was just coming out of a whole wallpaper and I think there was a blog at the time, Unhappy Hipsters, and they had loads of pictures of really unhappy <laughs> people and really minimalist uh, interiors. And so then Apartamento after that just looked incredible and it was, yeah, it was just a lot more real, a lot more um, engaging and a lot more interesting. You just kind of felt like, yeah, this hasn't been set up. Mm -hmm. Even if it has been set up, it doesn't look like it. I think it's one of these magazines where, you know, when they come out, you think like, oh, why has, you know, why hasn't this been around? And I think yeah. that's, they usually tend to be the ones that then do really well because they really hit the nerve mm. at the time. I think if we were to look at a, a copy of Wallpaper from 10 years ago now, it would look really odd in the context of what we were discussing. Mm -hmm. It was so extremely, well, it still is so, so much slicker and mm. more design orientated in that way you know I'm, I'm flicking through the uh, the latest issue and as you'd note it is the 17th issue mm -hmm. of Apartamento and there there are so there, there are examples of design classics in there you know there's Liam Gillick's apartment in, in Manhattan uh, has a gorgeous view and it's full of uh, mid-century mm -hmm. marvel you know the, the key key pieces that anybody who collects such items should have mm -hmm. but then he's got a picture of jeans hanging up in his shower yeah so exactly but they're just, <laughs> just <laughs> completely and no cats. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, completely different context. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I um, think um, it was following an apartment nest at all. I, I don't really know because when apartment first came out, I think I was 15, so I didn't really. Um, uh, I wasn't really sure what was going on before. Nef uh, yeah, uh, I'd be interested. I, I'm not sure. We, in fact, I should have checked, and maybe you can check in a minute, but. I'm not sure when Nest folded, whether, but, but Nest was something very particular, which it was, was 2004? yeah, so it didn't cross over mm -hmm. with Apartmento. Nest was more, it, it was more about the kind of curating of these extraordinary apartments okay. and, and, and mansions mm. that they portrayed in a completely over-the-top, over-decorated, over-designed, mm -hmm. extraordinary do you guys know Nest? No, I no? Um, I, I know it a little bit. I mean, it was yeah, very well, camp as well, right? Yes. It was kind of, yeah, it was yeah. very funny and kind of bizarre. And it was really, really it was, it odd. Was, I, me I remember there, there, there was one front cover that uh, which uh, was from a, a story inside about a guy who covered covered his bedroom wall with with colour pictures of Farrah Fawcett Major. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just sort of completely over the top, flamboyant design so it's very different to, mm. to in fact it's a third thing it's not wallpaper it's not apartamento it's a th third very different thing yeah mm. yeah
I mean, one of the things that's noticeable about Apartamento over its 17 issues is that, it, you know, and, and comparing 2 to 17, apart from some obvious things, it, ha it hasn't changed that much, which testament to its successful arrival that's so fully fledged and ready to go, whilst acknowledging all this, all, all to have what a great magazine, what a key magazine it is for this whole sector of publishing. Do we wish it would change a little sometimes? Do we wish it would sort of bounce off into a new direction somehow? Or, 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 or would that be um, to, to turn its head on what makes it successful? I think it's tricky. I, mean, I find myself, like since I think issue number 10, I felt myself thinking I should get off Apartamento and the magazine. They're not going to, you know, that I felt like, well, I feel like reading the new issues kind of read that before and I, I felt like you know maybe I just don't need to buy it anymore but then I always end up buying it and still enjoying it so I think that in the spot where you know they've hit upon a format and a formula that works extremely well and it's visually extremely beautiful and still very enjoyable at the same time you do kind of you know you do kind of feel like oh come on guys you know maybe a little bit of um, something else so um it's kind of interesting because I had, a, I had a talk to Marco about this, and I think they're very aware of this issue of, you know, where, where to go from here in a way. They've kind of, you know, they've, they've hit upon gold in a way and done a magazine that's extremely, was extremely relevant at the time when it came out and something very refreshing. And now they've kind of been doing it for so many years. And, um, you know, is it worth relaunching it or developing into something else or take it to a different place? And I think it's something that's incredibly difficult to do um, but I think you do slowly you know there's some pieces where I think like okay you know they've had this ongoing series of like these these sculptures with like um, in this issue it's with foam they've done it before with bread or with um, tape and um, and you kind of feel like okay I've seen that now 10 times 15 times so maybe it's time to you know maybe just of bring that to an end and bring it to a close mm -hmm. um but but i think as you say kai that when i've spoken to omar uh, about the magazine i think and when you hear him talk about it i think you know they they, they set up this magazine for the fun of it mm. <laughs> you know i mean they, they absolutely just kind of did did it because they wanted to do it they didn't really have an end game they didn't have you know just tired of doing stuff for other people they thought they had something they wanted to do and they did it and, and they kind of hit the mark first go and, uh, and that's kind of the, in a sense the dream that you have whenever you start a magazine uh, and, and then I, I mean my impression is they're just keeping going doing what on that same basis they're doing what they want to do on the basis that there's a, you know there's enough other people that share that mm. interest in the same things that they're interested in. I think with the interviews that's the way that they do them that's what kind of keeps my interest is that they always seem to find people who know whoever they're interviewing, so they're really personal, and I think that was really important. I don't know how they... They must have a huge network, and how they manage to, mm -hmm. to get those interviews is, is really special, but um, that's what keeps it interesting, because, yeah, sometimes you flip through and you're like, ah, well, I've, I've read an interview with Petra Collins or Martha Stewart, but mm -hmm. when you read it in Apartamento, it's not like an interview you would get in... I think, yeah. I think that's that's the key point for me, and certainly with the Martha Stewart interview, perhaps it's not acknowledged enough in terms of Apartamento, in terms of what we talked about earlier. Yeah. But, but you know, I think the content and people talk about the photography. We we've talked about the photography, but the, but the interviews and the content shouldn't be overlooked. There is something about reading an Apartamento interview that it offers something that you won't get elsewhere, and I think that's key to what they do. But I also find it very hit and miss though, with Apartamento. I always find that you know sometimes the interviews also fall a bit flat and uh, you know end up skipping on the surface um, mm -hmm. for all of it. You know, but then it's you know I think that's the, the kind of um, risk you take doing that sort of very casual and mm -hmm. what feels like quite unmeditated approach of you know I don't like I don't have to cover all the points of this person like. Mm, you know, they just seem to yeah. like just be sitting down at the table and start chatting in a way. And sometimes that can be hugely refreshing and really surprising mm -hmm. and very charming as well. And sometimes it can just, you know, not be quite satisfying. Well, it, it's there is a you do get the impression that that they just transcribe the interview yeah. Yeah. and take out the ums and ahs and put everything in. And sometimes that can it, it kind of comes down to the quality of the conversation. Mm. Danielle, now that you're, was it the sixth issue now for Cost? How are you sort of dealing with that idea of having to possibly 
then done or like rethink or move on from the sort of structure that you've been using in the past which is that something that you're thinking about or concerned about yeah i think it, after the launch of each issue me and Charles sit down and we get a little bit depressed because then it doesn't look like you thought it might <laughs> and so then you think all right how can we make the next issue better and so we originally started with a five four three two one Mm -hmm. format which was five ideas for interviews three features two essays and one icon we kind of switched that around because it didn't it just didn't why keep to such a strict format too constraining yeah, yeah so it's a little bit more fluid and now we've got some for the next issue we've got short stories at the front of the book and um, we've got some really short personal essays and now the features are a lot shorter and that section is a little bit meatier um, and then we still have the four meetings and the icon at the end. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's just really with each issue we've kind of really decon deconstructed it. That sounds really pretentious. <laughs> we've really thought about what we've done and where we want to take it. And for the next issue, we've um, we went to the apartment of Gloria Steinem where she lived in the 60s with this artist called Barbara Nessum and they lived together for six years. Mm -hmm. And obviously Gloria Steinem's a well-known iconic feminist and women's rights campaigner. Um, but rather than, she, that's been really well documented, mm -hmm. but rather than talk to her just about that, we talked to her about friendship and living with Barbara and being in that apartment in the 60s and, and their relationship, which was a nicer mm -hmm. way to find out about those two women and mm -hmm. a nicer sort of angle than just reading about yeah, what you would normally yeah, yeah. read about, yeah. about Gloria. Um, so yeah, it's just trying to do things differently or mm -hmm. to keep it interesting for us because if we're getting bored, then our readers are probably getting bored. Obviously, Kai's magazine changes drastically every time. <laughs> you, from the very start uh, on Riposte, had a very clear <laughs> c uh, cover uh, approach. And I've, I've seen, seen you talk several times where you explained the, the shift away from having a, a, a photograph on the cover towards having a, a, a text cover only and the elegant idea of having text on the, on the front and a picture on the, on the back cover. So can we expect a similar cover this time? Um, so again, we have looked at what we've done in the past and we've had conversations about the text-based cover, which from the very start, we set out to be a magazine that isn't about what women look like, it's who they are and what they have to say and what they do, which influenced the text-based cover and then we have an image on the back. But the magazine market is, insanely competitive and when your magazine's on the shelf and it's just text-based and people don't know who you are are they going to pick it, pick it mm -hmm. up and is it um is it an encouraging a new audience of women or i mean if it was an architectural digest then fair mm -hmm. enough it would work perfectly but we're a women's magazine so how do we try and develop our audience mm -hmm. but stay true to our initial ethos it was interesting what you're saying you mentioned earlier about men buying it because yeah. it was quite you didn't say it but the masculine design is, that, is yeah. that what you meant yeah i think because it's um it's been written about in a lot of the design press mm -hmm. and because of the design museum nomination um i think designers mm -hmm. male designers are kind of into it and so yeah we just we're sort of really looking at what to do with the cover and whether to image wise what to go for and I think we well we have decided to do something different for issue six so watch out and Kai can you tell us a bit about the new issue as well yes so the, our new issue number 40 is um it's a bit of a comeback issue for us as well because um we haven't really released anything since exactly one year ago mm. and um it is coming out next week, and it's with the British artist and ceramicist Edmund de Waal, um, who's also written several books. And um, and who did you work on the design with? We worked with this one with a Danish studio called Design Bullerget. I hope I pronounced this correctly. Um, it's a guy called Klaus Du, and he does a lot of um, art books and artist books and catalogs, and he works a lot in the fine art world. And he's got a very minimalist and reduced style, um, very modernist, and somehow really seemed to suit well to Edmond de Waal. Um, you know, we just wanted to have a lot of white in it and a lot of space. And it's worked out beautifully, actually. And, and uh, are there any, any physical things going on in terms of the production? Is it different papers or? 
There is. Um, <laughs> we actually, it's the first issue that we had to reprint in um, our existence of over 10 years um, because um, we really wanted to work on We had printed it on Chromolox paper, which is um, very glossy on one side and uncoated on the other mm -hmm. side. And um, But it's also a very fragile and difficult paper. Um, it folds badly and we really had some issues with the printing that um, so um, we couldn't... <clears throat> We had to actually dump the whole print run, reprint it again, and we wow. um, using a matte coated paper that that, that um, is then varnished. Um, that whole idea was um, inspired a little bit about you know because he's so much into the material and to porcelain that he works with, and he talks a lot about um, the different glazes and the, the the perfect matter of the material, and we wanted to somehow reflect that in the issue of having you know having gloss and uncoated mm -hmm. or matte coated um, working together in different ways. And you've also made it an A to Z as now. Yes. What was the idea behind that? That was also a little bit because he's um he's a very conceptual artist and there's a lot of um, there's a lot of reading, a lot of history, a lot of um, influences from music and literature that go into his work. And um, he's just incredibly, incredibly literary and intellectual guy who does a lot of thinking before he actually sits mm -hmm. down at the wheel and um, creates objects and somehow just offered itself. Yeah. So it's, um, it's the interview structured like an A to Z, but it's always about um, very abstract um, terms like um, kindness, idleness, um, craft, obviously. Mm -hmm. Um, different things that are all relevant to him and to his work. So that was the first MagCast. A huge thanks to our guests, Danielle in London and Kai in Berlin, for joining us and being willing guinea pigs. For the next episode, we're going to have two guests again, one in Berlin once more and one in London. And we've decided that we're going to be reading issue 15 of Makeshift. So the tagline of Makeshift is a field guide to hidden creativity. And if you don't know the magazine, it's really great because the editorial team have this huge network of people around the world that they call upon to find very local, strange, unknown stories. And they put all these stories together in the magazine. They've got 15 staff members across six countries. And issue 15 is actually their very last print edition so if you don't know the magazine this is the perfect opportunity to do so so keep an eye on the mag culture journal for news of, of, of the next episode uh, and thank you for listening <laughs>